And let's get into today, where we're going to be talking about the second movie, the second movie, X2, X-Men United. So we've already talked about the first movie that uh, premiered back in 2000, X-Men, and the plot line and what it was intended to be, uh, also what, what ended up happening because of fandoms. And we talked about towards the end of that episode, which again was episode 10, uh, some unique features about it, like why did they make the movie? Who was the main star? Who was the intended main star? And then uh, the fact that they actually didn't mean to make another movie after that until, of course, all the popularity came from Hugh Jackman's character, Wolverine. But now, here we are, X2. X2 premiered in 2003. 2003, of course, being three years after the premiere of um, X-Men. Now, of course, everybody that follows the X-Men universe knows that there is a huge following in multiple lineages of comic books. But what we're going to be talking primarily about today is the uh, cinematic universe. The cinematic universe does not always follow with the guidelines and the storylines of the different comic book series of X-Men, but it does like to pull from different ones to include a lot of different mutants that showed up. Now, fun fact, I was trying to explain, or not explain, but talk to Owl's about how X-Men and the Marvel Cinematic Universe are actually quite close, or at least from the X-Men side of it. Today, we get to kind of dive deeper into that because a lot of mutants that made a list cameo are mentioned or shown in the movie if, if you pay attention. So we'll be getting to that. We'll also be talking about the different mutants that show up during the episode or during this uh, movie at different points and then we'll go into the overall plot line which I will be using the wiki link the wikipedia link to kind of skim through the main plot of X2 and then towards the end of this episode we will be getting into some fun facts so 15 things you may not have known about X2 uh, from a website called mentalfloss.com. All links will be in the show notes. X-Men Cinematic Universe. X2. X-Men United. Why the fuck did they name it like that? X2. X-Men United. Why the fuck couldn't they just name it X-Men United? Oh my goodness, the early 2000s was horrendous when it came to naming things, in my mind. Like, for real? X2, X-Men United? You just couldn't name it X-Men United? What's going on here? What is the big deal with these names? The X-Men universe, uh, at least one thing they did, they waited a three-year gap between movies, or between releases, They because they had no plan on it, right? I mentioned that earlier in the uh, beginning. But with this one, they at least did it right, in my mind, in my personal opinion. They actually started up where they left off on the other one. So if you remember in the original X-Men, uh, the movie kind of ended with Logan going to Alkali Lake. Professor X dove into his memories and saw Alkali Lake as far as a connection to Logan's past. Because still, at this point, Logan has no memory of his past at all. Like, literally at all. Except for what Professor X or Xavier was able to pull from his memories, which wasn't very much. With that, we actually start out at the White House. And in the White House, 
we meet our first mutants, at least our first new mutant to this movie. And you see puffs of black and purplish smoke popping in and out of things and like a ghost-like figure. Well, of course, we all know that follow the series or have watched more than just the movies, especially by this point, it's Nightcrawler. While that's going on, Nightcrawler's popping in and out and then attacks the president after dismantling his entire guard, the Secret Service, and gets over the president with a knife in his hand, gets shot, drops the knife, and it lands next to the president's head almost. And on it, before the scene cuts, is a tagline that says, Mutant Freedom Now. And then it cuts to Wolverine at Alkali Lake, which is frozen over. Um, he gets to the entrance of the what looks like the dam portion of it, and there's a wolf that greets him there. Kind of stares at him. They stare at each other, you know, all that good stuff. And then he walks in, and then scene cuts again. But again, uh, that portion was Logan leaving to go to uh, Alkali Lake in the end of the first movie. Now, here we are at the beginning of the second movie, and he's there. Finds nothing. And then the next scene transfers over to Storm, which is talking to... Uh, the students or the young mutants at um, a museum, a regular museum. And then, of course, as the scene progresses, you see Jean Grey, Cyclops at the museum with the students. Uh, and then it kind of cuts over to the uh, food court where we see Rogue, Iceman, and Pyro kind of just hanging out like teens do. They don't care about the museum. They don't care about the history. So they're just chilling out in the food court. Well, there's other kids or older teens, I guess, probably like 18, 19, come up and start messing with or fucking around with Pyro because he's got his ladder. He's playing with the flame. And then one of them looks at Rogue, one of them jacks the lighter from uh, Pyro, and then he lights his cigarette with it. Well, of course, Pyro being the asshat that he is, uh, funnily, it was absolutely fun that he did it, like funny as hell how he did this, of course, because he, Pyro, manipulates the flame, lights the kid's jacket on fire, and then Iceman, Bobby, uses his powers in front of everybody and puts out the kid. Well, at that point, before the scene cuts, Professor X freezes everything. And that's when the scene then cuts back to the president. When we cut back to the president, of course, Stryker's there. We all know who Stryker is. Uh, those of you who don't know, Stryker is a character who has been villainized in the movies as trying to get rid of all the mutants, or one of the villainized characters trying to get rid of all the mutants. He is a human. He has been around since Vietnam. And, spoiler, he is the one accredited to giving animantium to Logan giving him the animanium claws and skeleton where he's virtually indestructible. Now, with uh, that part of the um, skit going on where Stryker's there trying to get uh, more things going, of course, Senator Kelly shows up. Well, not really Senator Kelly, of course, because if you watched the first one, you'll know that Senator Kelly died um, Thanks to Magneto. So, who else can it be? Dun, dun, dun. It's Mystique. Hey. Mystique is here. Um, of course, playing or mutated into or mimicking, of course, Senator Kelly. Trying to um, find out information about Magneto's imprisonment. Uh, I'm 
And you can see that in the next segment of that scene where Mystique, or Senator Kelly, follows uh, Stryker and his associate, who also is a mutant. Uh, but you'll find out, we'll find out that later. But Mystique follows out and trying to get access to Magneto's prison because it is a very secured location that Stryker built um, that is made out of all plastic. Well, after that, the next scene, of course, cuts to Magneto being in the prison. And Stryker shows up, and you find out how he's getting information, which is a serum or some type of drug that he drops on the back of the neck of the mutants or anybody as a truth serum of sorts. But instead of being a truth serum, he's actually manipulating anybody who he spurts or syringes on the back of the neck of the person or and or mutant. He can control them. Well, that's how he controlled Nightcrawler. He got a hold of him, put that serum in his bloodstream, I guess, on the back of his neck. It was just right at the base of the neck and made him do that. Now, with that, he find, he's asking Magneto about Cerebro because he's trying to develop his own. Well, then, of course, it turns into Mystique uh, doing the visualization of Stryker's associate, which is a female, and walking into Stryker's facility, or one of his facilities, uh, not the facility. And this is where it gets fun, okay? So, amongst all of this, of course, you have... Gene and Storm taking the jet from um, the campus to Boston to collect, in a sense, Nightcrawler. And also in that process of uh, Professor X uh, trying to locate with Cerebro Nightcrawler, Logan is there with him. Well, Logan gets left behind while uh, Storm and Jean Gray go to Boston in the jet. Professor X and Scott, or uh, Cyclops, go to the prison to talk to Magneto. So again, uh, Logan is left at school with the kids by himself as the only adult mutant there. Now, as the only adult mutant there, of course, he's not really teaching them anything. I think it's the weekend. It kind of has that vibe about it. But anyway, back to Mystique. So Mystique is in one of Stryker's like corporate facilities, and she is trying to access some files to find out where Magneto is being held at. So she impersonates his voice, uses voice command to gain access to secure files. And in that process, she pulls up a list of different uh, mutants that are throughout the world. And the list only showed a, a, por a portion of the names. And they are Gunthry, Harada, Kane, Remy LeBeau, Eric Leshner, Linzer, Linsher, she's, which of course is Magneto, Maddox, Mad Rocks, uh, Mon, Maximoff, Taggart, and Moonstar. All right, so those are the list of names that it shows in that particular scene. Now this scene or that particular section of the scene is less than I want to say 10, 15 seconds long, but that's a lot of information because there are Gunthry 2, 
which in the comics uh, talks about Sam and Paige Gunthery. Sam is Cannonball, which has been in a lot of the movies as well uh, going forward, but also was a big play in one of the spinoffs of the X-Men universe depictions in the comic books. Also, Paige, who was another one, her mutant name, of course, was Husk. Uh, so that is another part of the comic books that they mentioned as far as the X-Men. Now, Harada um, is the Silver Samurai. Now, if you've watched movies like the or the X-Men series already, uh, you'll know who he is. So the Silver Samurai actually is the nemesis in both Wolverine standalone movies. So, or not Origins, but the Wolverine movie. Um, the standalone Wolverine movie. He goes against the Silver Samurai in human form before he became an actual mutant. So that was awesome. Kane. Kane is another Weapon X um, variation in the uh, comic books. Uh, you have Remy LeBeau, if you know anything about the comic books or seen a later X-Men movie. Remy LeBeau is Gambit. And he played a very vital role in uh, the X-Men comic book universe because him and Rogue had a thing. All right, and then of course Eric is Magneto. Mad it, Mad Dix is Artie, Artie Maddox, uh, one of the mainstays in the comic book universe. You have Mad Rux, so it's M A D R O X, and with that one, that's Multi Man. You actually see him in a movie. Fun fact there. Check it out. Go back, watch the original X Men movies, and figure out if you can see him. Uh, Mon is Karma in the comic book series. And then, of course, like I said, uh, Maximoff. Two. There's two of them. Who do we know who is Maximoff? Dun, dun, dun. Scarlet Witch. Yes, Scarlet Witch and Sil or Quicksilver are the Maximoff twins. And they are mentioned in the X-Men universe. But, of course, Scarlet Witch is a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe dealing with Captain America and all them. So again, X-Men is Marvel, but they have two very distinct universes. Why they haven't merged yet, I don't know. Because they absolutely should. Um, okay, so the Maximoff Twins... Then you have McTaggart. So, fun thing about McTaggart. I can't remember if it was the brother or the sister because they both play vital roles in the comic book universe. So, the brother, I believe is Eric McTaggart, is Protom Proteus, who is an Omega-level um, mind-bender. Because he can manipulate time and space. Now, if you go back and listen to um, episode 10, when we talked about the first X-Men movie, I briefly went over the, the varying classifications of the X-Men. Or not X-Men, but the mutants, as far as their powers go. And then, of course, you have Moonstar. So that's Danielle Moonstar, who started out as Psyche. And then turned in, or her name changed to Mirage. So that was fun. That was, seeing that list, I didn't even pick it out the second time I watched it until I saw Remy LeBeau. Because Remy LeBeau being Gambit. Alright. And then from there, it go, the scene changes, she gets her information, and they go into the strike on uh, Professor X's little estate, the school. 
So during that, it's at night, of course, with his goons, Striker's goons, I should say. Uh, you, you see Siren in there. She's a little girl, and she yells, wakes everybody up. And during that process, of course, you again see a young Colossus, probably late teens-ish. Uh, with him showing up in, in this form, he looks like he's late teens, but not a part of the X-Men yet. So that's why I say late teens. Uh, he's not actually an active member of the X-Men yet. Uh, not He's still acting as a student, probably one of the older ones, and is helping protect everybody else. Also, in this version of Colossus, he's not so Russian, like Eastern European. Uh, with his voice, he's more just, hey, I can help. Um, so he's like American, and that was a little off-putting when I first saw that because he's always been the like Arnold Schwarzenegger voice um, when he spoke kind of like what you see in Deadpool anywho so we move forward um, towards the end of the raid every all the kids got out uh, of the house at that point but of course they later get captured uh, or at least some of them got captured in the process, but the ones that left with Colossus got out, and then Logan, Bobby, or Iceman, Rogue, and Pyro are still left behind because, of course, the three teens, Bobby, Pyro, or Iceman, Pyro, and Rogue are trying to help. And then Logan comes in, helps get them out, they turn the corner, getting ready to leave, and then Stryker's voice, Logan stops. They have a moment, and Logan remembers, partially. Not completely, he just remembers his name. It's like, oh. And then, of course, Iceman freezes, puts up a wall between them. And from there, they just leave. Well, once they get to the garage... They get in a car, which is funny enough, an R8. I was like, why an R8? Those cars sucked. But I guess in the early 2000s, that was the hype car to have. Who knew, right? Uh, but they get in there. They're like, oh, that was Striker. He remembers. He shows that he remembers. Rogue gives him back his Wolverine dog tag. And that's it, really. So during the rest of the plot, um, Gene and Logan get them, get uh, Nightcrawler. They try to go back, find out everything's, everybody's gone. They get back in the air trying to find people. And by this point, it's the next day. Logan, Iceman, Rogue and Pyro all go to Bobby's house, which his parents thought he was at a prep school, and it looks like there's some animosity between the brother, Bobby's brother, and Bobby. Well, they're hanging out. They come out that they're mutants to his parents, and brother goes upstairs, calls the police. In the process, they found a communicator in the car, and by that time during the day, you have some connection between um, Gene and the Jet and Logan. And they're like, hey, you need to get here now. It's about to go down. And, of course, cops show up. And when the cops show up, it's interesting because they're tr they're, they're trying to leave with no harm. But as soon as they walk out the door, they're met by two armed officers, or two officers, weapons drawn, one on the right, one on the left, male on the right, female on the left. And of course, Logan's got his claws out. He's like, "Hey, not trying to start anything," and he puts them away. Well, when he puts them away, oh my god! Pow! Shot comes from the right. Knocks Logan out for the first time that I think I've seen him get shot. Well, during this process, of course, they're trying to talk. The cops are trying to talk him down to get on the ground. Of course, Iceman and Rogue 
they get down. Pyro doesn't get down. He clicks his, bit, his Zippo open, blows right cop off the porch, and then turns around and blows left cop off the porch. Two immediate threats. Then he goes and blows up all three, I think it was three cop cars in the yard. Rogue takes off her glove, grabs Pyro to suck his energy and his ability to manipulate the flames and puts out all the fires. As that happens, you have um, the jet landing. They all get in the jet. Logan, of course, wakes up after he pushes out the bullet from his head. And from there, they walk off. Well, Logan walking off last. The cop that shot him in the head is scorched, in a sense, like soot blackened. Has a gun drawn, looks at him. Logan looks over like, yeah, okay, try me again. It's like, ooh. It got it back down. That was a funny moment for me. Uh, now, as the scene progresses on, of course, they're, they're trying to find everybody. They've got everybody in the jet flying back, of course, after Pyro's little shenanigans. The X-Men jet is now being trailed by two fighter jets. Storm does her little tornado thing, gets rid of them, but needless to say, there's still uh, rockets after him. The rockets blow open the back of the jets, and Rogue, because in her panic from the jets, did not get the seatbelt or the harness strapped in, so she goes flying out the back. Nightcrawler then goes after her. Poof, poof, they're back. And now the jet's in a downward spiral, uncontrollable. The back uh, majestically closes back up and comes to a controlled stop. And as you see out the front, it's Magneto along with Mystique. They're in the woods. That's when they join forces. That's where the title uh, depicts the um, X-Men United aspect because in the original series this is the first time that Magneto is actually willing to work with the X-Men to end a common enemy which is Stryker. Backstory on Stryker, Stryker has a son who is a mutant, is a psychic and that's a problem because he controls Xavier into controlling Cerebro into Xavier using the mock-up Cerebro to kill all the mutants. Well, in making that plan, um, they end up, next scene, uh, Mystique, disguised as Logan, infiltrates uh, Stryker's base. And then, of course, once she's in, she lets all the other ones in, which are Magneto, Logan, Storm, and Jean. And from there... Of course, you find out that when Professor X got taken from the prison, Scott, who is Cyclops, was also taken. Well, now um, that's, he ends up being there and under the drippy droppies of um, his serum, or Striker's serum. There's a battle that ensues back and forth. Um... This is also when you find out that Stryker's assailant or associate is also a Weapon X. Uh, this version of the female Weapon X has nails that grow out to be claws, basically, instead of actual claws coming out of her fists like the young Weapon X that we see later on, where it's just two that come out. But her whole body's animantium as well. Uh, that's when he... Stryker tells Logan that he's not the only one. So that's the first hint for later ep or later movies. Now, as things happen, of course, uh, Cyclops being under the serum control is trying to kill Rogue, or not Rogue, kill uh, Jean Grey, Cyclops, or goodness, Mystique, and Magneto. 
Well, of course, Jean Grey fights Cyclops. Cyclops has the serum wear off, and then they're talking again. Well, in the process of their fighting, they crack the dam. And eventually, as they try to escape with everybody, uh, dam fills up with water, or the base fills up with water, and boom, it's gone. So what the uh, wiki says here is, as the X-Men flee the dam, as water engulfs it, killing Stryker, but the X-Jet, is what they call it, loses all power and struggles to take flight. As the floodwaters rush towards them, Gene sneaks off the jet and telepathically wishes the team goodbye. So this is where um, we lose Gene because she's... it's. I think it was weight, if I remember correctly. Plus, she had to be off to watch it kind of push it off. Um, she holds back the water. Oh, that's right. She's holding back the water so they can escape. And not only holding back the water, but also lifts the jet up so it can take off. As the last scene that we see her in, she erupts in flames, becoming the phoenix again. And then lets go and allows the flood uh, to crash down on her, presumably killing her so that's how that scene was left off like you see the dark phoenix come out of jean gray or the phoenix come out of her and then she's covered in water again so the x-men uh then it cuts the x-men give the president uh strikers files and xavier warns him that humans and mutants must work together to build peace and then it cuts again back at the school where Xavier, Cyclops, and Logan remember Jean and her presumed loss of her life. Logan's upset but knows loss. Whereas Cyclops, how it was in love with her, fiance, engaged, whatever, and pretty broken up like that. And then it cuts to a final scene where... It says, meanwhile, a phoenix-like shape rises from the flooded alkali lake. It cuts out, of course, talking, or Storm's voice, or Halle Berry is talking, saying a nice little pretty catchphrase, and yeah, that's the end of the movie. Now, fun fact about this movie, too. This was the first movie that we saw the natural-looking, human-esque version of Raven in the X-Men's cinematic universe. So that was cool. Uh, in this version, uh, Stryker, William Stryker, is played by Brian Cox. So it was an older Stryker. Uh, another fun fact about Nightcrawler, in this timeline, Nightcrawler has never met Jean Grey or Storm or any of the other X-Men. At least none that they don't hint to that at all during this lineage of the timeline. Kitty Pride is the um, one of the cameos, the X-Men cameos or mutant cameos. Uh, Artie, which was the one I was talking to you about earlier, he shows up in this one. Uh, Jubilee, she shows up. A human, Hank McCoy is seen in a short TV spurt for Siren. And let's see. Oh, fun. Here's what it says as far as Gambit's cameo was shot, but the footage was not used in the final cut. So there was supposed to be a Gambit cameo here since they mentioned his name. Girl is seen dressed in a Native American-style jacket as well as a blonde-haired boy dressed in blue, played by Blake at Anderson. These were confirmed to be Moonstar and Ra Douglas Ramsey. Funny. Interesting. Okay. Well, hot diggity dog. And the writers, of course, showed themselves in a section where it was... Um, a flashback to the surgeons. They played the surgeons during uh, the Weapon X flashback. Oh, here's an interesting part. X2 originally premiered in London on April 24th, 2003. And it wasn't released 
widely or to the rest of the world until May 2nd, 2003. That is crazy. Wow. So over a week later. But the movie accumulated over 85.6 million on the opening weekend uh, worldwide. Uh, overseas, it grossed another 69.2 million in the first five days. It surpassed Star Wars Episode Two as the film with the highest opening weekend for a 20th Century Fox film. That's cool. For two weeks, it stayed in the number one spot before being Displaced by Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. And that summer, X2, Matrix Reloaded, Finding Nemo, Bruce Almighty, and the Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, were the first five films to gross or to cross the 200 million mark in the box office in the summer. Okay, so here we have, again, Mental Floss. And it's uh, 15 Things You May Not Have Known About X2. So in the opening scenes, if you look closely at the 20th Century Fox logo at the beginning of the film as it fades to black, Brian Singer had the X in Fox fade out slower as a little tribute to X-Men. Hmm. And apparently there are a, a dozen other hidden X's throughout the movie. Uh, the windows during the museum scene, the trim over the door in the Oval Office, and a lot of the characters' wardrobes. There you go. So when you uh, sit there and watch the movie again, X2, check that out. That was That's pretty dope. All right, so number two, the plot. The plot to X2 was loosely adapted. Ah, yes. So this is coming from the comic book world here, boys and girls. So it was loosely based off of a graphic novel called God Loves, Man, Man Kills. So it was an X-Men graphic novel, which featured Stryker as a villain and Magneto teaming up with the X-Men and Stryker's plot in killing all mutants by using an alternate or second-hand version of Cerebro. Uh, Singer, who is again Brian Singer, the director, hired many of the new cast members specifically because of their previous work. Aaron Stafford, who plays Pyro, was hired because his role in the small indie film Tadpole. Brian Cox, who played Stryker in this film, got his far part because Singer remembered him from a 1986 film, Manhunt. Wow, okay. Where the actor played the first incarnation of Hannah. Lecter. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Alan Cummings, who uh, played Nightcrawler, was in a musical, Cabaret. Uh, let's see. Number four, the film was primarily set in Vancouver Film Studios. Largest film production facility outside of Los Angeles, but exteriors of Stryker's winery base was shot at Barrier Lake in the Canadian Rockies, the province of Alberta. Production had created more over 40 tons of snow to cover the area because the unusually warm weather melted the natural snow. Holy shit. 
40 tons of artificial snow or man-made snow just to make it look right because the weather fucked up. It was a hot... It was warmer weather. Ah, this is fun. So Cerebro was built in halves and the walls could be shifted around to uh, suggest a spiral shape depending on the angle of the shot. That was cool. The museum in the beginning of the film was actually a convention center in Vancouver. The crew outfitted the space with dinosaur bones rented from a real museum and private collectors by the production designer. So those were real bones in a convention center. That's crazy. Okay, let's see. When Professor X stops time, the extras near the main actors were mimes. Bruh. So you're... They used mimes? That is crazy. Okay, that actually blew my mind. That actually blew my mind there. In all the wide shots, Singer just had the extra stop in place. Huh. Okay, so on the close-up shots, like there was one, I think, when Rogue poked a guy and he just kind of... Like that. The exterior of Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters were shot at Hatley Castle on the grounds of the Royal Roads University in Victoria, British Columbia. Hmm. Uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos's mystique makeup took five hours to apply. I think we covered that one. Uh, in episode 10, when we were talking about some fun facts. Uh, let's see. Number 12, X-Men staple, staples the Danger Room Sentinels and the characters of Beast and Archangel were supposed to be in the movie, but were cut for various reasons. Ah. Danger Room Sentinels and Beast and Archangel were all supposed to be in that. The set for the Danger Room was actually built but scrapped because of budget concerns. Jubilee made it into the movie in a cameo, but her scene was cut for time. Oh, damn. That's crazy. Yeah, Jubilee was another main staple in the X-Men universe in the comic series as well. That sucks that they cut her out of so much... Fire's Lighter with the shark graphics is a homage to Jaws. Huh. Brian Singer's favorite movie. The director's production company is also called Bad Hat Harry Productions. Yes, I remember that. Which is inspired by the line in Spielberg's shark movie too. Also. Uh, 14, the perfect performance, or to perfect his performance as Nightcrawler, Cummings, Cummings worked with movement coach Terry Notary, who had previously performed in Circus de Soleil. Since X2, Notary has worked as a movement coach on Avatar, The Adventures of Tintin, and The Hobbit. That's cool. That's a nice little uh, resume of movies. The frozen barrier that Iceman creates between Wolverine and Stryker was real. An 8 foot by 11 foot 3,500 pound block of ice was installed and exploded on set. That was real ice? Holy fuck! That is absolutely insane. So eight feet wide to cover the hallway and then 11 feet fucking tall. Uh, Deaf Girl Gaming on Twitter and Deaf Girl on Twitch. So it's D-E-F-G-R-L. She's the one that is 
finessing our uh, transcripts so that it shows voice lines in it, which is awesome. Also breaking up and making sure things are tried to spell as correctly as possible. Of course, she is legally deaf. Uh, she has implants or an implant in that allows her to um, hear, but she was born deaf and she does a fantastic job for us. So she's done two episodes already. Um, and she is on par to do this episode as well. But again, I wanted to thank Deaf Girl for all the wonderful work that she has done uh, for the podcast in helping make sure that the transcripts, the transcription of said podcast is as clean as can be. And I wanted to thank Warrior X Coffee for sponsoring. Of course, we do not ask for any discount codes because you, when you order coffee from WarriorXCoffee.com, you get an option to donate 10% of the purchase price towards either the Big Red Barn uh, Foundation. Yeah, Foundation, which is a part of the Gary Sinise Foundation that helps out uh, warriors, whether it be Marines, Army, Airmen, um, or Navy, Coast Guard, any veteran it helps them out uh, post-traumatic stress disability medical anything like that that's what they help with uh, also you can choose to donate part of that of your purchase price towards st baldrick's uh, which primarily is in dealing with childhood cancer research and hope helping families with their medical bills. So that's why we don't ask for a discount code, but I am absolutely going to uh, shout them out every single time. Again, that is warrioraxcoffee.com. Other than that, we are on all the major hitters of iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Stitcher, and Radio Public, all thanks to Red Circle. Red Circle is the RSS host where it doesn't cost you anything to start out. You can upload as much as you want and you can work on distributing to all the major platforms for podcast and or audio output. So please go check out Red Circle. Again, we are on there. That is also where you can also donate to us and help us out here on this podcast, allowing us to bring more people on, even probably pay for better guests, uh, or for popular guests, I should say, not better, but popular guests. Uh, Also, I wanted to throw out there that in the About section on the Twitch page, the Twitch page, of course, is twitch.tv backslash the Madhouse podcast, where we do our live recordings Now, we're kind of sporadic now, but every other Wednesday, we are doing a live recording, myself and Owls, who uh, currently is sick for this episode, sadly. Uh, But we do live recordings every other Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and right now we're covering the X-Men Cinematic Universe. So, we did the original X-Men that premiered in 2000. Uh, two weeks ago now, uh, we did, and then tonight is X2. We would have had another episode recorded live on Twitch, which would have been an interview with IMB Paula, which I have to reschedule with him. But, but, it is still going to happen. Uh, but I had a baby, baby girl, baby girl Joker showed up last week. And we just got her home last night. So this is her second night at the house as of tonight or the live recording of this episode. So that's awesome. But again, anyway, go to the Madhouse podcast on Twitch and there is a suggestions panel on there. And what that'll do is that'll lead you over to bum, bum, bum. get it pulled up a form, a Google, uh, form that you can tell us how we're doing. You can give us a review even if you don't listen to us on one of the other platforms. 
Or if you do listen to us on one of the other platforms, I can link it in the show notes. Uh, But you can find me at the official NLMP on TikTok, uh, NLMP Gaming on Instagram. On Twitter, it's NLMP Joker. Here on Twitch is just NLMP. You can also find my personal YouTube channel, uh, NLMP Joker. Just look it up in the search bar. Also, the Madhouse Podcast. Let me get you that one real quick. All right, so what you're going to be looking up is Madhouse Presents Group Therapy. 